evening and welcome to Bite Size Conversations with Jenny and Kylie. We're here to talk to you about business and particularly today, the mistakes that we've made in business. <laughs> How are you going, Jenny? I'm doing really well, thank you. I love this topic. I think you and I, you and I as we said off camera, we can talk about this all day. <laughs> so many <laughs> mistakes slash lessons slash learnings that we've had in our business each of us <laughs> one, one thing we always say is that every mistake is such an important learning you know firstly you never want to make it again right secondly no, that's right lost money wasted money whatever but we can flip that and say we've invested money in our learning <laughs> so you know you can flip it to make yourself feel better anyway exactly. kick it off first tell us your first big or small mistake you've made in business um, I have one of my biggest ones from my very when I very first started the company. So I, people who've been following us know that I started my company sitting in a cafe in Barcelona going, I've got this cool idea. Let me leave my job and start a company. Um, and so when I came home, I'd had a client that I'd kind of been talking to during um, at that uh, in Barcelona. And they were an amazing, beautiful client, but incredibly high maintenance. And I would just say yes to anything. And so it was like, oh, can you meet me at 11.30 tonight to discuss the, the, the contract? course I can can you come and do this at you know at five in the morning course I can and so what I'd done I trained them to basically be able to call me and ask me to do stuff that was not at all in scope of the of the contract but it was because it was one of my first ones and I was in that kind of I need to make sure I impress this person so that they you know will like me and then they'll sit, tell other people and they'll tell their friends and etc etc but yeah, so I basically trained them to ba use me essentially as a beck and call girl. And so I was like, yeah, turning up at ridiculous times to do negotiations of contract or to talk about the contract arrangements, even before we'd started the, the work. And then it was like six months until we actually worked together. So I'd put all this early effort in at ridiculous times of the morning and evening and trampsing all over kind of European countries to get there before we actually started working. And I think it's because I trained them that that would be okay. And so my, the, the, the lesson for me or the mistake was, you know, not wanting to be, not setting the boundaries really early about how I wanted to be treated and how the contract would work and what that looked like. And so not setting boundaries was definitely an early mistake I made in not just one, but several of my clients. And, you know, that's such an interesting one, because how can you set boundaries when you don't really know when your business is right at the very beginning? And so you've probably never experienced someone like that, you know, that <laughs> push or take or you know whatever and just go for it it's it's a lot isn't it yeah but and I think that's how could you was. know was, before that it was the unknown of like oh well you know and I I mean I know that you know someone's saying hey let's catch up at 11 o'clock for to talk about the contract you, you know, I knew that was going to be a kind of just a random conversation. And and really what it turned out is she just really liked company and wanted people to talk to. And so <laughs> she had that opportunity to kind of have a conversation and share her, share her story and, and, and have that space to share her story. She felt supported. And so that's what I learned about her is what would, what, why was she asking me to do those things? So at the time I didn't know what the, what the boundaries were, but later on I realized is when clients are asking that kind of request and wanting kind of quite out of the ordinary requests, there's a reason for that. It's either they're, they're lonely and they want company, they want to feel supported or they've been, you know, mistreated in some way with, with a previous coach or 
or colleague, and they're trying to kind of test the boundaries to see what you'll do for them. Um, and so now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a much more wiser coach in that regard um, and, and, and consulted in the space. But yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. It's a big lesson in learning, isn't it, about boundaries. I love it. So, yeah. And what about yours? What's your first one? Well, yes, I've got, a, I've got a number that roll into one, actually, which is when I first started my production company. So it was a TV production company, and I was living in Sydney in my late 20s. And my dad had recently died, and he was a film producer and had a, a couple of film companies. And so it felt really right. I'd worked in film, you know, for years, et cetera. And it just felt really right that I would name it something that really just made me think of him. So my dad um, used to go, you beauty, all the time about things. And so his number plate was you, then a space, be you, then a space, then T. And so when I started my own film company, I called it you beauty, but it looked like you butt. So <laughs> people would ring and say, is that, is that you butt production? <laughs> so I was like, it's you beauty. <laughs> but I could, but also you beauty was nothing to me, like nothing at all. It just happened to be something really special for me from my dad. So I very quickly learned, leave your special things with your dad at the back door, leave it in your personal life. You don't need to bring it in, you know, to your business and look so at true. ways that it can be read <laughs> to work out that actually that one doesn't work at all. However, you know, I just kind of rolled with the name challenges. Um, then what then happened is um, it was going really, really well in Sydney. I worked on some incredible um, films and traveled in different parts of Australia. One of them, for example, was I worked on the Crocker Stedford Festival in um, Moree and in Weepa, which was just extraordinary and going out to all these tiny little indigenous communities. And it was just really beautiful. So basically like the Rocker Stedford, but it was the Crocker Stedford. So that was a really special thing. Um, did a bunch of things with SBS and, um, you know, some private films as well and decided to move up to the Byron Bay region because we just fell in love with it. And I thought, hey, have this business, travel anyway for it so I can be based anywhere and just travel. And I had all my connections in Sydney, so I thought I'll just fly down and have meetings whenever is required. And no, major, mm. major problem. I also thought that there'd be unlimited work going on up here for me and I would be totally needed. So the next lesson is I didn't do my research. And the first bit of research I didn't do is what was my competition going to be up here? So my competition was not other film companies. What it was, was the local networks. Uh -huh. So you could go to Channel 10 or Channel 10 would go to you as a business and say, for $100, we'll make you a TV commercial. And yeah, so there was literally three different scripts that they would give you that you could choose from. They all ads looked exactly the same, but for $100. And then you just pay, um, pay for the airtime. That was it. So how could I ever, ever <laughs> compete with that? that? I must confess, I did get a few jobs, for, which was nice because there are going to be companies that don't want that three different to choose from. Yeah, and then off you go. But they were few and far between. And it was a massive, massive, massive challenge. 
And in terms of the getting loads of work coming out of Sydney for me, I was just before my time. We didn't have Zoom meetings or anything like that. You know, yes, we had email, but that was pretty much about it. Mm. And so me just flying down at the drop of a hat because I wasn't just in their faces, it just didn't happen the same. No. So the lesson for me was do your blooming research for sure. But secondly, actually, some great stuff came out of it because I knew that I needed to diversify. And that's when I went off and studied graphic design and all kinds of other things and turned into a media agency rather than just film. So, you know, good things came out of it. But, yeah, some some really hard lessons along the way and particularly you but. (laughs) I love the you but. I think that's amazing. (laughs) And it's so true, though, right, because we look at things written down and we look at it in what our memory and what our perspective things are. So we go, okay, it's a lot logo or it's an image or it's a um, the name of our company or whatever it is and we we're looking at it through the lens of our memory not the lens of someone who doesn't know has nothing to do with us and I've seen that so many so often with logos and I see logos come through and I'm like wow what is that logo and it looks a bit weird and then they tell you the story I'm like I get I get it now that you've told me but beforehand it kind of just looked a bit odd or you know slightly offensive (laughs) so we often see that kind of you know that need for some peer review or peer conversation say what do you think about this (laughs) that's so true and I used my um good friend and graphic designer Jules Goodwin to do the logo for it and already I knew it was going to be problematic so he made sure that the the letters went down not along so the U and then the BU then the T to try and alleviate it but that you know that's for business cards and things not everybody would see that no of course the email address or the whatever anyway amusing and annoying for me so Jenny what's your next uh hard lesson you learned um mine is also from the consulting coaching space I think is um often or early on I did retainers and I still do some retainers for clients and so I had a retainer with a particular client for a certain amount of time every week and so my job was to go in and do that particular role for that period of time and they wanted me in the office and said look that's fine I'd prefer not to but Sure, let's work from the office. And what happened, because I was there for so long and we actually, the retainer was for some time, they needed that long, long-term long kind of in-house support. Um, my role shifted from being a consultant and a specialist consultant providing advice and I started to be seen as an employee. And so the shift is, of course, you lose that kind of objectivity and the ability to actually share that raw advice that you give as a consultant, that kind of truth telling you do as a consultant, because as an employee, their relationship with you and the power balance starts to change. And so when I, because I was embedded for so long, it started to actually change the dynamics and not in a really positive way. And at the end of it, we kind of, you know, I managed to kind of turn it around. And when I separated, I was like, you know, I I don't think you need me anymore. I think this is different work for someone else. Let's kind of step away. But it was actually a really damaging um, kind of process and a really strong lesson. It was very early on in my in my consulting coaching space. So the work was doing, I was doing the work, but it wasn't being received the same way because the lens they were looking at me from was no longer as a consultant. It was as an employee and their expectations of what I would do every day in the office shifted to a point to things that I actually was not prepared to do or not even contracted to do. But it didn't matter oh. because there was this kind of, well, you're here, I'm paying you. So therefore there's all this other stuff you can do. So I guess the lesson for me for that was being really clear about 
you know, if you're doing a retainer, if you're doing some long-term embedded work is making sure there's that separation and balance of, again, back to boundaries, what you do, what you don't do, and, and occasionally having that kind of moment of reminding. So, you know, set, stepping back and whether it's a monthly check-in to say, okay, so let's, let me share what I've done la- the last month under the retainer as your contractor. And the language you use becomes really important. Doesn't it just? Wow, that's a really, really good one. So again, boundaries and it definitely around language. It's a, it's a really, really good one. How would you avoid that in the future? So for me, I, I, basically what the lesson showed me was when I'm when I'm talking about retainers, I, do, I very rarely do a retainer in, in-house to someone actually sitting at a desk, you know, emails and that sort of stuff. I'm very much working remotely. So I'll pop in to do meetings. I'll pop in to have the strategy conversations and the direction and the kind of, hey, here's the update but I do the work remotely. And so by doing that, there's a very clear separation that I'm not one of the team in terms of an employee. I'm definitely part of the organization team, but I'm not an employee. So very much arm's length conversations, making sure that they they recognize in the, and again, language that I use, it started to be uh, why I, when we do my coaching programs, we always talk about that language as part of the structure of your company and how the language that you use, the way that you describe your services and talk to your clients and present your work actually forms part of the structure and the identity of the company. So I became really focused on the language that I was using um, and the way that I presented information. It was always co-branded with my information saying, here's my report to you as a comp- as the consultant. Um, it wasn't just, you know, it'd have their branding on it, but it would always have provided by me with my, my footer, my information. So it was very clear that it was me providing a report or some information and not being done as someone internally. And that, again, that comes back to language and the way you show up. Mm, good tips there. Very, very good. And what about you? What's your next one? My next one is a big one financially. So this one is when I had my e-commerce business. Well, really, it was a designing business um but it was e-commerce so I was designing kids toys and decor and then initially it was all being manufactured in Australia so um I would buy the fabrics as needed I had an amazing cutter who used to cut for country road and then moved up to an MO property so multiple occupancy out the back of main arm in the rainforest so like about a half hour drive inland from me and when you drive up there there were just this massive massive um like river going down alongside then he had this cutting room that just opened up these doors and so what he looked at every day and amongst the rainforest was just extraordinary and he had this huge cutting table and you know the giant machine that just cuts it so it was quite extraordinary but there he was in the middle of this rainforest it was just and I couldn't get couriers to go out there so it was actually really lovely that um you know that one part of my business I was very much hands-on with the delivering of the fabric for the cutting and picking it up and then it would get couriered off to the various sewers around and things so what happened is um that through a friend I got this um great situation going on in Vietnam for fair trade and ethical manufacturing so what I loved is that it didn't have to be ginormous numbers. So, you know, first time of going offshore, et cetera. But there's no way that my um, sewers here could keep up with the growth in the, in the business. So, and I had this whole nappy bag range that was going really, really well. So I went off to Vietnam to um, get this first lot done. And, well, I didn't go to Vietnam. You know, I just, off, off I went with this manufacturing. However, big rookie mistake is, 
again, probably about research and doing my homework, but I think even more about trusting other people more than you trust your, yourself. <laughs> so she said to me, so, you know, we worked out all the amounts that I needed for 300 of every single product in two different colorways. And then she said, that fabric for your lining, and um, because we have to print it for you because it's particular color hue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it'd be much better if you bought a lot of that fabric and we stored it in our factory because having that put on layaway will be a really important thing because prices are just going to go up and up and up. So I spent an extra $40,000, yeah, on fabric to put on layaway because that was her advice. And, you know, she was very, very convincing. I, by the time I sold that business, like eight years later or something, I still had probably... I don't know, but more than half of that fabric sitting there. Oh, wow. So all the other production runs were done, hadn't even you know, really dented the amount that there was there. And then I said to her, can we sell that fabric? Like, there's no way I would ship it here to sell mm. with the business. It was, that was, and I wasn't even using her as in manufacturing really anymore anyway, because her prices had just gone sky high. So, um, and she's like, no, I can't, I don't want the fabric to leave here. And really, I'm not even sure where it is. Or anyway, it was just super, super weird. So really my lesson was, Actually, so what? Who knows what's going to happen with the market in the future? At the moment, this needs to be what I'm doing. Trust myself. But because it was my first foray into, you know, doing it overseas, then I just trusted. So bad, 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 expensive mistake. I think, but it's a really interesting point, though, because we kind of want to future-proof stuff, don't we? And yeah. so we get convinced to do that. It's like when people say, you know, oh, you need to buy bulk of this now because, you know, for whatever reason. And then you end up having a massive capital expense now that you don't need, that is a strain on the business, that that remains there as a liability on the business because it's not an asset. Well, it's technically an asset, but it's an expense that you didn't use. So it's just sitting there. And I think it comes back to that conversation that we've had previously around when you're looking at what you want to spend your money on in your business, it's being really mindful of what do you need right now? What's going to help you get to the next level rather than saying, I need all the shiny things now. So yours was a, a gigantic bolt of fabric. But other people's, it might be, I need to buy the color printer in my first month of business, or I need to, you know, I need to make sure I buy all the bells and whistles when really all you need is a laptop and a keyboard. Or a much, much bigger office space to rent because you might have staff in the future. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's such a big one though, isn't it? Like, and I know we're, we're talking about mistakes, but that's one of the big things. When I first started, I always wanted, had this idea, there's this beautiful property. As I drive down Old Cleveland Road, it's an old real estate agent. It's on the corner. It's an old house. It's all white. And it has this beautiful foyer area and then big rooms out the back. And I thought, oh my gosh, one day I want to own that place with my beautiful logo on the front or rent it. And I'm going to run my workshops and hold my coaching there. And if I'm doing my consulting work, people can come in and talk to me. And then I was like, what a vanity measure that would be. <laughs> like that is entirely a vanity measure, right? It's got nothing to do with my ability to do my work, my success in my business. Any of those things do, are irrelevant. But it was me about going, that will, I will be successful when I have this physical space and people will see me and say, wow, look at that beautiful office that they have. And then I was like, no one cares where I work from. Like yeah. no one cares that I'm in my home office or that my view, what my view looks like, or if I pop into their office and use their boardroom, they don't care. <laughs> It's such, but, but we have this kind of vanity view. And I think that's that sometimes we do that for yours. It was a, you know, taking advice as a rookie mistake. 
but we have the same thought process when we're doing things that like, oh, but I think if I do this, I will feel or look or whatever it is better to the market. It's such an interesting one, isn't it? And I've looked often at, because, you know, I have felt a little sick over it over the years. (laughs) So much money and such a big investment. But um, I've tried to look at how could I have stopped that happening? And really, I don't even know that I could have because I didn't fully understand maybe if I'd got an agent rather than going through her but then I probably wouldn't have done it at all it was the fact that it was this friend's wife blah 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 so and you take the advice that you're given right that's that's what you do so possibly I needed someone else's advice but they would really probably I wouldn't have even known who to be even looking for to get that advice so yeah expensive one but uh what about you Jenny what's another for you um, I think for me, most of my lessons are around the sort of same thing, but the last one, I think particularly, which is a big one for coaches and, and consultants is around pricing. Oh. And it's one of the reasons why pricing is such one of the, one of the most important things that I talk about with all my clients around what's the, what is your value? What is the cost of your, what, what's the cost of doing business? And I think early on when I started the company, I charged something and it was as a consultant fee that I thought was a fair price but I didn't really think about how that price was created. It was like, I think that's going to be fair. I'm just going to charge this much an hour. It seems okay. So let's charge that. And in fact, I went on a coaching program who basically said, start your coaching at $100 an hour session. And, and I was I was above that at the time, but they were like, this is what you should charge. You start at $100 and then work your way up. And someone, someone else was like, oh, no, no, start at $50 and then work your way up for whatever the hour or half an hour. And it's not so much a mistake that I made per se, but it's one of the conversations that a lot of my clients have done and a lot of mistakes they've had is that when we pick a price and we don't know what the cost of doing that work is. So whether it's a time cost, whether the effort that you're going to put in, whether there's actual physical expenses that you have to choose, that you choose a price based on kind of a pluck in the air and see what comes up rather than actually focusing on what you're doing. So my very first retainer, the same one that the challenges with the boundaries and all my lessons were learned in those first two contracts I had. Um, One, I charged what I thought was a fair monthly fee, but when it looked at the amount of work they were expecting me to do and the amount of work I was giving, it was well underpriced. It was probably 50% of what I would charge now. um, And the cost of doing business for me was significant. Um, In the same way, I had a beautiful client who high maintenance, amazing, but just, um, and I said, yeah, I'm going to go to New York with you and spend a week in New York helping you build your program, which we did. But my brain was going, I'm basing this on an eight hour day, which gives me time to go out at night and hang out and do the things I need to do. But I ended up turning up at 10 o'clock. And if I was lucky to leave her house by 10 o'clock at night, it would be a good day. Because the expectation for her was, well, I'm paying you pretty much to live at my house for, for 10 days or seven days, but I hadn't costed it that. So my what what my uh, when I looked at the cost and it sounded like, an and we do that, we go, oh, this sounds like a lot of money, right? So this is a lot of money. It must be enough. But don't go into the mistake of, of assuming that a large amount of money is value for you as a delivery. And you do that because all our work is our IP, our time, our effort, our team's time and effort. And that has to be costed in. And I didn't do that early enough, well enough early enough, which is why now I have a very detailed spreadsheet that has my day rates on it, has my hourly rates, has my admin fee rates. And so when I'm charging out, particularly for large contracts, I actually use that as the basis. So I can actually, if someone says, how did you come up with that number? 
I literally have a spreadsheet that says, this is how many hours it's going to take me to do that task. This is how many hours my admin team's going to use or whatever it is. And I get a number at the end. And then I can choose to go higher or go lower based on the contract. But I know what the effort is into that contract. So that's something that I've learned. And now I do in everything that I do from coaching programs to consulting work to even um, when I tender for other people. Such an interesting one, Jenny. I was just having a chat. I mentor this um, guy in his business as a as a voluntary thing. He's just really, really struggled through the pandemic. And so just trying to, you know, help him look for different ways to pivot, basically. Um, and one of the things when we were talking about <clears throat> his hourly rate, and I said, it's just, it's just not enough. When you look at what you put in beforehand, what you put in afterwards, and just how much time you spend with it in your head is so massive. So really that hourly rate is just, just your time at that exact moment. But for me, you know, I gave them examples with some of my clients. There's so much that we're doing behind the scenes and so yeah. much thought process and ideas and all that. So you're right, it's your IP. It's also your, your thinking. It's the, all the things that helps you come up with that hourly rate. A hundred percent. Such an interesting one. And so even I, and with and with that one though, and that's the thing is when we start to look at that particular piece around um, what does it cost and what is it going to get and you know how much am I going to charge for it? Um, we we don't think of the it's yeah it is your IP, but that's why when I charge, so my coaching rate is you know people who know when they they coach with me for ninety minutes, it's a reasonable cost of coaching because I think about them for. 30, 40 minutes beforehand. I think about them after I send notes through it. My team does work for them, as you say. And so when people say to me, wow, you, you, your coaching rate is high, I'll go, yes, but it's that understanding that it's my knowledge, my understanding and my expertise that I'm sharing with you. The reason it's high is because it's going to give you the outcome you want, but also we're also wrapping you with support, right? It's yeah. not just that one. It's not like a, you know, when you go to see a physio and you pay $120 for the 30 minutes that you're in the room, we don't blink about that because we're getting 30 minutes of time with our physio or with our healer or whatever it might be. But they don't think about me before and they don't think about me after. They only think about me for that 30 minutes. So they can charge, you know, $240 an hour or $120 a session because it's a very specific in and out, your doctor's the same, uh, any other kind of service provider like that, they don't think about you pre and post. But the work that you and I do and our team do is always, there's always stuff around. So such a great lesson that you're sharing with your client because it's such an important lesson that we forget to learn because we don't think about it early on in the business. Absolutely. I had to write notes there while you were speaking. I loved it when you said wrapping you with support because that's exactly what it's like. And when I talk to someone, for example, on a discovery Zoom and I say about our coaching programs and I say, when you're at that gold one, then you not only get me with your one-on-one -on -one coaching, but you get my whole team yep. in this messenger support group where you can be asking questions or, you know, whatever you want all, all week long. So not just in our sessions. Yeah. It's gold. Like you can't even put a price on that. It's absolute gold no. for, what, for what you get. So, yeah, it's beautiful how you just said it. it's like enveloping them in this space with you. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, they get so much more. 100%. Yeah, love so what's it. So what's your next lesson? My final lesson that I'm going to share is a topic that you've already touched on is boundaries, but I'm taking it a step further in terms of not jumping in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> So um, 
Oh, I think of it as not jumping in the pond because it really is a massive splash. Um, <laughs> so I had this client and just glorious. I have to say, just absolutely think she's fabulous. She couldn't come to me. This is pre my everything being on Zoom. She couldn't come to me. So, you know, I went to her and went to her over and over and over. And my sessions were 90 minutes. So it was a half hour drive there, then a 90 minute session and a half hour drive back. So already calculate how many of those can I fit in one day. Um, I could never change her pricing from the first day, which was the lowest, lowest, because she'd already told me she had no money and desperately needed my help, et cetera. So, you know, I was doing it for a pittance. But the worst part was she was very, very unwell. And so a bit, I would say to her, right, we need to wrap up in about, you know, 10 minutes. And she would start to cry and say, we haven't done anything that I wanted. You know, and she'd start to get angry at me. And I'd be like feeling terrible. <laughs> and I said, but that's because you also wanted to do X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I started to get clever over time and say, I need your list before I come. And I can then tell you what feasibly we can get through in that time, what topics we can cover, et cetera, et cetera. And we never, ever did. And she would just cry and cry. So then I couldn't leave because I felt so bad for her. And she would, you know, sometimes cry about the health, sometimes cry about the husband, sometimes cry about the work, whatever it was. It was really emotionally intense. And I would feel so bad for her. I think the longest session I had with it was three hours and charging for 90 minutes and, you know, just a pittance of that anyway. And it was really full on Jenny. When I went hundred percent on zoom at the beginning of the pandemic, she just couldn't cope with that at all. And it was an absolute relief an yes. absolute relief because yeah, it was just sucking the life out of me. And as I said, she's a really, really wonderful, wonderful human. Like honestly, super, super lovely, but that was just so much. So what was my lesson is A, boundaries, B, when that situation was no longer working for me to speak up yeah. and C, you know, the emotional thing. I, I, I don't think I even now know how to deal with that. But you know. I, that, When that was my client, that was my overseas client. When I said, I, you know, I was going to go there for eight hours, but the language that they would use, and it's very clever, is would you be so kind as yeah. to help? Would you be so kind as to do this one thing before you leave? Yeah. And so then all of a sudden you're like, now you're like, if I don't stay, I'm not kind. And I want to be kind. And I thought, oh, again, very early on in my, in, my, in my coaching arrangement, I was calling my partner going, oh, my God, I'm just in tears at the end of the sessions going, this has been the most emotionally draining day. I don't want to be here. Oh, my gosh, what have I done? And he's like, just tell her, just push back. And so you try like you did with your client <laughs> and it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter we're like ah but no that that boundary and that but that emotional thing is so important isn't it? And I think that's one of the lessons and because we're human right yeah we're human and so we want to be there for our clients and our customers we want to be there and give them what they want and when we feel like we haven't done that we then go, oh, we, it's our responsibility to try and fix that. So I used to do that. And, and now I'm, I'm much better in being able to say, um, you know, this is what we do. This is the workshop. And in 90 minutes, unlike my sessions these days, when I'm running face-to-face -face coaching sessions, I've got to do a couple still in my home. I'm really good at now keeping to time. So it's a 90 minute session. And these days I don't run over because I'm aware that I respect their time. And I go, you know what? We said 90 minutes, so let's do 90 minutes. And by doing that, it's actually helped me much better with my boundaries. Whereas on Zoom, I'm like, oh, it's another five minutes. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
but but no, I'm getting so much better. And maybe that's because some of my clients too are very much like they book meetings back to back. And so they literally book meetings for 25 minutes or 30 minutes or 15 minutes. And I know that they only give me that time. And I'm like, yes, yes. You solve the problem, answer the question, and we move on. Because you and you don't have that kind of emotional connection of oh my God. <laughs> What what lessons we have learned, Jenny? Oh, so many. <laughs> so good. So important. And um, there's a comment in here that uh, Keely loved wrapping you with support. I just oh. love that too. It's so beautiful. And then she wrote, at that, Kylie, that's only three people a day as opposed to five. Another 500 a day, depending on pricing, obviously. A big difference. Keely, I reckon I would at most have been getting $75. Because... <laughs> For a half a day, including two half-hour trips. <laughs> I know, and we don't think not of that, good. right? Not good. I had to love when I first did my first spreadsheet. I shared it with a client, um, the consulting spreadsheet. They're like, "How do you come up with your pricing? It seems expensive." And I was, and I showed them the spreadsheet, and I was like, "So this is administration. This is you know QA. This is the time to develop. This is this process. This is all these things." Having listing those out actually makes me as a consultant a far better consultant because I know the time and effort that goes in to developing something. And I'm working with a client at the moment or a colleague of mine who I need to do a piece of work for them, but I've literally been thinking about it for three weeks and probably I'm almost ready to write the content that they need. And it's just a report for a, for a larger report or a section of a larger report, but I need actually time to think about, okay, how am I going to process? Where does that fit? What information do I need to put? I can write them 17 pages, but they only need literally half a page of content. So I've got to get 17 pages of content into half a page. It's got to be clean, succinct, and it's got a, it's got a five-year timeline. So it needs to be relevant now and relevant in five years. So that, that I can't just sit and write that quickly. And people forget that. So when, when I'm doing this costing out, I always go, okay, well, I need to have thinking time. So it's like, Half a day, I always add to any report I'm doing as thinking time or development time or prep or whatever it is, just so that I can actually allow myself the space to deliver the work that they need. And, yeah. and the same when you're doing creative, when you first have a new client and you don't really know who they are, there's that time to go, I need to get to know you, you know? Yeah. And we, and we don't value that. And, and so that's why I price it into my model now, because then I've, I value the time when I know I'm getting paid for it. And therefore I give them a better service because they're getting a holistic service, not just kind of half, kind of half thought out process. Absolutely. That's so good, Jenny. Um, Keely's popped in and said also respect boundaries. So agree, Jenny. Yeah. Time fits into that too. 100%. 100% Thank you, Keely. So good. So good. So Jenny, um, I won't be joining you for the next couple of Fridays. No, well, I know. I think we, we, we might, we will have to see whether we, we might even take a couple of, a couple of weeks off. Maybe we should do a midterm break. I think, I don't know. We'll have a think about it and we'll chat afterwards, but we'll be back either next week or next couple of weeks is bite size. Yes. I'm off to New Zealand to see my family, which I'm really excited about. And um, yeah, lots of lots of good things happen. It'll be so nice that you get to go home. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually doing something different this time too. So my daughter and I are flying directly into Wellington, which I'm not from, and I haven't been to Wellington in I don't know, well over twenty years. And my mum and my sister are flying there to meet us, so we're having a girls' weekend before I then take a road trip to uh, 
you know, go through the North Island and then eventually end up in Auckland yeah. where I'm from. So yeah, I'm pretty, it's, a, it's actually a, a very quick trip, but we're going to be covering a lot in that time, but I haven't that done a girls amazing. weekend in probably forever. So, and, and I just want to point out, because Keely, I agree, obviously you're undercharging Kylie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, <laughs> even if my rate at that point was 300 an hour and she was being charged 75, it's because initially she would have got a 50% discount anyway, <laughs> because she was really struggling. So it was not good, not good on but any. Keely, I'll, I'll make you notice that Kylie rejects the conversation I have every time about her pricing. Her clients listening, going, "No, don't put your price up, Kylie. Yeah. Your your work is golden, and <laughs> it, you and you are." And we talk about this because the value that Kylie gives you as a client, as a customer, and even as a friend is phenomenal and oh, is priceless. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. That's very, very lovely. And I love that Keely said, "Thinking in the shower counts, Jenny." So agree. Totally, totally does. The amount of times I've actually used when I've been in the shower thinking about stuff and I use my finger to write on the shower screen, just randomness, (laughs) which actually allows me to kind of get it out of my brain. So I'm like, oh yeah, now I know what to do. (laughs) It does count. Um, You have an amazing trip to New Zealand, Kylie. We will see you when you're back um, and look forward to chatting a little bit about holidays. But I think we should, when you come back, I think we need to talk about for the businesses, the importance of actually taking a break from your business and planning a break because we don't do that. And how do we make sure that we plan a break from your business? I know we're doing that. Um, We're going to Potentially, we're looking to go to a business conference in New Orleans at the end of October. And so we're having to start thinking about now, how do we plan that time out of the business? Because we can't just decide to leave tomorrow because we have commitments here. So I think when you come back, let's talk about how do we plan that time out of our business and make sure that we can actually get time for ourselves or for professional development or our family or whatever it is. And let's talk about that. Brilliant. Sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to it already. Awesome. All right. See you soon, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye, Enjoy. everyone. Have a great Bye. day. See you soon. Bye-bye.